word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that wonderful promise of Psalm 135 that we read at the beginning of the service. Everything the Lord pleases, he does. There is nothing outside of your control. And so, Lord, we do ask that this morning, that through your word, you would achieve your good and perfect purposes in our lives. That we might be transformed to become the people that you have called us to be. Lord, we thank you that your word is sufficient for everything that we need for life and godliness that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. So, Lord, as we hear about this wonderful ministry that you have entrusted to us, let us not make the mistake of saying, I'm not equipped for this good work, when you tell us that we are. Thank you for all of the riches that we have in Christ. We thank you for the joy of having your word being changed by it, and Lord, that we might see the world around us changed also. Asking Jesus' name, Amen. Have you ever been pursuing something that was really, really important to you, only to have it come to nothing, and you just give up? It could be a particular job, career. I suppose in 2022 it could be a housing thing, trying to find housing or whatever it could be, or a relationship. Despite all of your best efforts, nothing comes of it at all. In the event it was at a job, it's quite possible that you might have even been the most qualified person in the entirety of the town Yet somehow, the role keeps getting given to other people. It would be very easy to start to lose heart. Maybe even to start asking the questions, what if I never get a job? Am I wasting my time applying? Now, I know it's frustrating missing out, Imagine how frustrating it would be if you knew even before you applied and put in all of the effort, the stress of the interviews, knowing before that you were never going to get it. Because reality is we all know and are aware of situations where a position has been filled, like they've granted the job to someone, yet they still go through the process of interviewing other people um, in the hope that they might get the job knowing that they're actually not going to get the job at all. But every time you apply for a job, you can put in your best effort, but ultimately the outcome is entirely out of your hands. And when you don't get the desired result time and time again, it is extremely easy to lose heart. Today we're looking at an important ministry that every single Christian has. One which Paul says we are not to lose heart. Last week we finished the book of Joel and we were haunted by the words of chapter 3 verse 14 
which Joel speaks of this day of the Lord, a day in which judgment will take place. He says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. That you and I are in possession of the ministry of the gospel that sets people free. It's a ministry we speak much of. It's a ministry we acknowledge the importance of. But do our beliefs regarding our responsibility to make disciples of all nations, the priesthood of all believers, translate into action of that nature? Or maybe you once had a real great zeal for sharing the gospel. But time and time again, seeing no fruit come of it, you lose heart and give up. Of this ministry, Paul says in our passage this morning, we do not lose heart. And today we'll see why. And we're going to look at four aspects from the passage that we've looked at. And challenge us to never lose heart for this life-giving ministry. Firstly, what is the ministry? Its method and material the so-called obstacles and the power of God. So firstly, the ministry itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 opens in such a way that causes us to look back to the content of chapter 3. When he says, therefore, he's reaching a conclusion based on what has been said in the chapter beforehand. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Therefore, looking back, we're going to look at three aspects. What is the ministry? How it was given by mercy and that we are not to lose heart. Well, the ministry, chapter 3, describes what this ministry is. Not only in terms of what it is, but Paul draws some parallels and some contrasts of how this ministry is vastly superior to the ministry of Moses. In chapter 3, verse 6, he describes it as a ministry of a new covenant, a ministry of the Spirit, a ministry that gives life. Describes as being as a ministry of greater glory than Moses' ministry in chapter 3, verse 8. Of a surpassing glory in chapter 3, verse 10. And a ministry of hope in 3.12. When you read through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, has it ever occurred to you that you have been given a ministry far exceeding that of the ministry that even Moses had? that far exceeds the ministry of any of the Old Testament prophets and even greater than John the Baptist. When Jesus spoke the words to the disciples that we often call the Great Commission, it's a commission that you and I have been given. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And it's common that some people will read this and they think, that kind of pushes me in a direction I don't feel comfortable. And so they'll say, that was a commission that Jesus was giving to the disciples. But the reason I've highlighted the part there in verse 20, teaching those who they minister to to observe all that I've commanded you, includes this very command that he's just given, to go and make disciples of all nations. So it includes us. It is our ministry as well. It's not just a responsibility we have. It is, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, a ministry that we have been given by his mercy. Now I'm sure the words by his mercy struck a real chord with Paul as he wrote those things. Recognising he was one who was the greatest persecutor of the Christian church. Yet by the grace and mercy of God, he's been given the privilege of taking this life-giving message of the gospel to the world. You and I, knowing all of our weaknesses, all of our failures, are given this wonderful, joyous ministry of the gospel. It's given to us, not just assigned to us. It's not just something that, have a crack at it. It's a ministry that God himself has given. Our God gives good gifts, but he gives useful gifts. He gives gifts that he enables us to be able to exercise and use. It's not like that distant uncle that you never see who he doesn't really know you but insists on sending you a present every single year and you open up and you're just like, what on earth am I going to do with that? No, God gives us gifts and by the enabling of his spirit that dwells within us, we can use them, put them to full use because all of his children have the fullness of his spirit. Yet so many of us who have this ministry are willing to pour out all of our energy into so many things except for this. And in light of the fact that God has given us this ministry by his mercy, Paul and we should not lose heart. Because it's his ministry, empowered by his spirit, As the psalmist said, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all of the deeps. In other words, anywhere, any place, any time, whatever God wants to do, he does. He's got a 100% success rate. He can do this ministry through a Billy Graham and he can do it through the shyest, most socially awkward introvert you have ever met. Therefore, Paul, ourselves, and any of God's children should not lose heart. Why? Because it's not dependent upon our abilities, our skills, 
in order for it to be fruitful. But on the flip side of the coin, neither is it hindered by any of our weaknesses, lack of skill or ability. It's his ministry of a new covenant, his ministry of the Spirit, his ministry of righteousness, his ministry of surpassing glory and hope that gives life. Given to you by his mercy to be used for his glory. But how? Now we all get a bit shy, shy and a bit anxious about the how. Glad you asked. So does Paul. He's pretty glad you asked too. The method and the material. Paul answers that question in both a positive sense and a negative sense. In other words, he says, this is what you should do, this is what you don't do. Which we look at verses 2 and 5. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And down to verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So we're going to begin, because Paul does, with how not to do ministry. When Paul says he's renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways, it's possible, but not necessary, it's possible that some of these things Paul at some point in his life has done and has exercised. Maybe in his time to, to persecute and pursue the Christian church, maybe he used these methods, I don't know. Maybe they, he had a reputation for doing things like this. Or it could just simply mean, this is not an avenue I'm ever, ever going to go down. What is it he's not going to do? He's not going to use disgraceful or shameful methods or anything that is underhanded or secretive. Paul says, as I minister and present Christ, it needs to be done in a manner consistent with the character of Christ. If I can't picture or imagine Jesus doing it, don't do it. He said, I do not do things in cunning, or NIV has got deception, or the New King James has got craftiness, which means more than just being tricky and deceptive. It kind of, the word means anything goes. We will not just have an anything goes approach, as in the ends justifies whatever means we want. He says, we're not going down that path where we'll do anything, regardless of its integrity, or regardless of its ethics or morals. He says, we're not going down that road. And the fourth thing he says he refuses to do is, we refuse to tamper with God's word. Plain and simply because it's God's word. It's like, it doesn't need any adding to. You add things to something that is deficient. There is nothing deficient in the word of God. You don't take any of it out. As though there's something here that, nah, that bit's not good. 
Whatever you declare not good in God's word, you declare to be not good in God. The problem with all four of these things that Paul says he will not do and the reason why we shouldn't exercise any of them, it's not just a matter of integrity, although integrity is an important issue. The biggest problem for all four is that every single one of them denies the power of God and the power of the gospel. Every single one of them says, God himself and his gospel is not enough. We need to spice it up. We need to make it better. We need to make it more effective. We've got a better plan and strategy. Or suggest that God needs your marketing prowess in order to save souls. He doesn't. Have nothing to do with deceptive ministry methods or Bible butchery. Instead, Paul says this of the content and the nature of Christian ministry. The content, he says, I do so by open statement of the truth. Not messing with the Bible, just letting the Bible speak for itself. The Bible is every sense, the word of God. Trust me, you cannot do any better. Nor does he need to shy away from speaking about sin and judgment because God speaks about sin and judgment. We saw in Joel on one occasion in chapter, chapter 1 after a major act of judgment, he says, tell your children, tell your children's children about this. Nor does he feel the need to sell the Christian life. I say, if you come to Christ, I need to make it more compelling. I say, therefore, I'll say that everything will be sweet in your life. You'll just have success and prosperity. You'll never get sick. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what anyone in ministry should promise. God's gospel is the one that is in the Bible. And that is the one and only gospel that has the power to save. If you think you need to spice it up with a sales pitch then you clearly do not know the treasure that is in the gospel itself. The focus of every single part of it is proclaiming Jesus as Lord, not yourself. I'd love to know Paul's thoughts on this modern idea of celebrity pastors. Pretty confident to say he'd have a few choice words on the topic. Paul makes it very clear, even though sometimes he says, I, Paul, an apostle. Right here he says, we are your servants. In sharing the gospel, we are serving people, not domineering over them. Because the messenger or the preacher doesn't do anything else other than present a message that is not their own, to take people's eyes off them and point them to Jesus. All done in such a manner that the conscience of every single person that you're ministering to can say nothing but that person has spoken and acted truthfully and with integrity. That's the content and manner of faithful ministry. 
It was then, it always will be. But after Paul speaks about his ministry being open, not hidden, how do obstacles still exist? Firstly, when people don't respond to the gospel, does not necessarily mean there is something deficient in the evangelist or the person sharing the gospel. It may mean that the minister or the person doing ministry, because we're all, scripturally, we are all our ministers, may mean they haven't had a message or a manner like what we've just seen described in the opening verses. But even if they have, there are so many other factors at play. Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, a number of times in some of our parts going through the book of Joel, we've come back to the Romans chapter 1, where Paul says that God has made it plainly known to every single human being that there is a God of eternal power. But there are also two factors in particular working against that. One, and Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that people exchange the truth for a lie and they believe the lie. And now here in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul also adds that Satan blinds them from seeing the glorious light of the gospel. Now some might read this and think, this is a discouraging message. One might even go so far as to say, well if Satan himself is blinding the minds of people who I minister to, what chance have I got? And like pretty much all of our negative thoughts when it comes about sharing the gospel... That question has its focus entirely on me. When I say, what chance have I got? We are foolishly presuming that gospel ministry depends upon what I do. That it's up to me to save people. But let me tell you this. No human being ever in all of history has ever saved another human being. They might have been the instruments that God has used, but God has worked the whole act of salvation start to finish every single time. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is his work alone. We need to take our eyes off ourselves. Our tendency to focus upon ourselves, our weaknesses, our abilities or the imperfections of our knowledge and fix them firmly on the author and perfecter of our faith. And when we do, then we have every reason not to lose hope because our hope is in God's power, not ours. A person's long-standing opposition, the blinding work of Satan, effectively have the strength of wet toilet paper in comparison to God and his gospel 
and his ability to save. So let's look at and rejoice in his power to save. Verse 6, the words cause us, our minds go back to the opening chapters of the Bible of Genesis 1 in creation. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now there's more going on here than than Paul just saying that salvation is effectively a new creation, which, which it is. But there is more than that. It's speaking of God's power in salvation as well as making a comparison to the ministry of Moses. We've just been talking about people who are long-standing in their opposition to God, who have suppressed the truth, who Satan has blinded their minds to be able to hear and receive the gospel. Now here is a connection, casting our mind back to creation when God did what? When there was darkness, void and chaos God simply spoke and there was light and life, purpose and order. From darkness and chaos to life, purpose, order. Simply by God speaking, it vanishes. So people who have a long-standing suppressing of the truth, Satan blinding their mind... Just like that, God can turn darkness and void to life, purpose, order. When we read Romans chapter 8, verse 30, we see that every single person that God chooses, he calls. Every single one he chooses and calls, he justifies. Every single one he chooses, calls, justifies, He glorifies. He's got a 100% success rate in every single one of those. You and I, we have a tendency to share the gospel with those that we think are most likely to respond favourably. As though, this one's easier work for God, We'll, we'll go there. We'll talk to these people. Don't want to make it too tricky for the almighty God, do we? The lesson that Paul is teaching is here. God can instantly bring light and life. Not to where it's a little bit foggy like it is out there this morning, but even into darkness and total chaos, simply by speaking. So our ministry of the gospel is very much like the parable of the soils. Often gets called the power of the sower, but it's, the focus is more so on the different responses of soils. Which when you read through that parable, how does the farmer scatter the seed? Does he go, oh, there's the good bit, I'll chuck some seed on that? He scatters it on absolutely everything. You find out where is fruitful soil, not by digging up the soil and having a look at it, but by piffing the seed everywhere and you'll see where it brings life and growth. We have a tendency to think 
Here is the good patch. This is where I'm going to minister the gospel. You don't know that. You see a few external things. But also, you don't know the power of God to bring from darkness and chaos to life and order. As we continue as a church to look more outwardly, recognising that we've been too inward focused for too long. I'm excited to start hearing some stories where God brings light and life into lives where there was once darkness and chaos. And not even through our most gifted evangelists or people with great interpersonal skills because we keep saying it's God's power, not ours. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Jars of clay is not really a flattering image, is it? It's not really like a a picture of, of strength and great beauty. But stop looking at the clay. Stop looking at yourselves, your ability, how much training you've had in terms of sharing the gospel, your personal weaknesses, your interpersonal skills. In each of us, the jars of clay, we're all different, but have the exact same treasure. And unlike Moses, who when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining with the the glory of God and put the veil over it, and all that was happening because God's glory had been there and it was beaming off him, that was coming from the outside. Paul says, Christ has shone inside in your hearts from the inside out. So what do we need to remember? We do not lose heart. We all have this ministry of the new covenant, the ministry of the spirit, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of surpassing glory that gives life. So in light of that, we proclaim Jesus in open statement of the truth. We don't need marketing skills. We don't need to tamper with God's words. We don't need to leave bits out thinking, oh, this is going to make it hard for God. We don't need to try and improve it as though that God's gospel isn't the good news that he claims it to be. Rather, our content should be Christ and the method and character in which we minister should be Christ-like. Yeah, sure, people suppress the truth. Yes, there's blinded by Satan. But it is God's power that brings salvation every time. Who brings life and light out of chaos and darkness. So do not limit your ministry by what you see in yourself or by what you see in others. But as jars of clay, servants of the gospel, that we might know, live and proclaim the word for the glory of the name. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, which we'll get to this chapter a few weeks down the track, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but 
God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Hear that? Paul is speaking about himself and another apostle named Apollos, and he says, we're nothing. When it comes to gospel ministry, we are the nothing of gospel ministry. God does it all of it. It's not really a great motivational speech for me to say, good morning, church, you're all nothing. God is everything. And God will give the growth because he has not finished his saving work. And I can say that with all confidence for one reason. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Now we spent seven weeks looking at the book of Joel where we saw a very bleak future for those who do not turn from the rebellion against God and back to him. Turn from their sin, trusting in Jesus' death as being satisfactory for their punishment for their own sin. That he was raised in victory over the power of Satan's sin and death. And that by faith in him, darkness and chaos turns to light and life. In this room, we have a room full of people who have been given this ministry by the mercy of God. Who live amongst a people who are yet to know this wonderful salvation of God. May we be a people who scatter the word, scatter the seed liberally. And pray that God might grant that 30, 60, 100 fold growth that he speaks of in that parable. We have every reason not to lose hope. It's closing prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not hindered by our imperfections. We thank you that by your mercy and your grace, you are willing to use broken vessels like us to be involved in that privileged duty of communicating what you have done to save us from sin and death. That you have shone the light of the glory of Christ within our hearts and granted us this ministry that sets people free. Yet we thank you that the responsibility for a person's salvation is yours and not ours. Lest we fear our weaknesses or our methodology but you call us to be faithful with what you've entrusted to us. We thank you that you are not hindered by our limitations. You are not hindered by what we see in the lives of others. Yet just like you spoke life and light into creation when there was darkness, void and chaos, so too, as the gospel goes forth, you can do that in the lives of those who hear. 
So embolden us to know the great treasure that dwells within us. And may we have much to rejoice in the years ahead as we see that powerful word at work. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I did mention, we are starting a series in 1 Corinthians starting next.